We're going to be in uh, Philippians 2, and let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us, that you've given us the opportunity to live and to worship you, that you've given us your word, that you've given us in our country the freedom to worship you. And we just thank you for that, Lord, and do not want to ever take that for granted. Bless this time, guide and lead us as we look at your word in your son's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to go back to verse 19 to get some context in here as we see how far I get this week. <laughs> yeah. But I trust that the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you that I may also be of comfort when I know of your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently as soon as I shall see how it will be, go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall go, come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, the fellow soldier but your messenger, and he that ministers to my wants. For he longed after you and was full of heaviness because he had heard that, because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick and nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, but not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more careful that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such with reputation, because for the work of the Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. So we want to look at this. Paul is in prison in, 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 in this letter to the Philippians, and he's not going to come out, even though he'd hoped to be coming out. And he says, I'm getting ready to send you Timothy. Now, we've talked last week about Timothy a little bit. Timothy was a young man who was a disciple, basically, of Paul. He went wherever Paul went. Paul taught him how to be a pastor. The other one that he taught a lot to was Titus. And Titus is another one of the, what we call the pastoral epistles. When he, when his very end, he's writing these young men and saying, this is how you are a good pastor. And just reiterating to them. And he says that Timothy cares for you just like I care for you and for the good that you have in Christ. Now, as a pastor, sometimes we preach hard things to people because we want to know that they're growing in Christ. It's all not being nice and kind to people. Sometimes it takes that hard message, not on purpose, not to make people feel bad, but because we all need to hear those kind of messages. I've told you all, I listen to lots of messages on the radio, and every once in a while, I'll get hit right between the eyes with something and saying, okay, I've got to pay attention and grow. So it's not something that's unusual when you hear a message. And in here he says, but you know the proof of him, talking about Timothy, that as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. And I love this word, the proof, you know the proof of him. The word in Greek is dokiomos, which means to be proved. It was a person who would take the gold coins and prove that they were the right weight, the right size. Nobody had shaved off part of the gold to, to make it less valuable. And they would, it talked about being absolutely proved. And Paul's saying, you know Timothy. You know that he has been 
approved. He stands for God in his life. And the question I have for us is, do we hold up to that kind of examination? In our life, do we hold up to being examined and somebody look at us and say, this is a Christian? Does it mean we're going to be perfect? No, because we can't be perfect. But our life should be able to be examined and somebody say there's something different about that person. They hold up to the gospel message. They hold up to the song that we sang. I've got peace like a river. Do we have peace? It doesn't mean that everything is always going to be good. But peace and joy are those linchpins for us as Christians that hold us when everything is going wrong in our life. And those are those times when we're like Job and it seems like everything is going wrong. Do we have that peace and that joy that says God's in control? Or do we get flustered the way the rest of the world does? How can all these bad things be happening to me? God doesn't care about me. Unfortunately, a lot of times we're this, the latter. You know, everything's going wrong. God doesn't care. God has a plan for us no matter what's going on in our life. When Job was going through all the hell on earth that he was going through, God had a plan. And we, are, we, we have an advantage because we know what happened in the first three chapters of the book that God said to Satan, you know, have you considered Job? He's a perfect man. And then basically said, go get him. And Job ended up learning a lot through the experience. And, you know, for us, when we go through hard times and we're being proved, we learn a lot. We learn a lot about God. But, you know, we learn a lot about ourselves. We as humans have this great ability to lie to ourselves. <laughs> I'm a wonderful person. I would never go out and do something wrong. And then we find ourselves going out and doing just what we said we'd never do. And you know, when we say the statement, I would never do it, we truly believe that we would never go out and do it. But we also kind of know in the back of our mind that there's never such thing as I would never, because if Satan gets enough temptation to us, we have enough desire to do something, we will fall. And if it's a place where we think we're so strong that we would never fail in, we're also not putting a guard up in our life in that area, and we will probably fall in whatever you think your strongest area of your life is, is where you're going to fall. Because God is not going to let you stand up in your own pride anyway. And he's going to show you that we're all, show you that you're weak. We're all weak. And he's going to let us know you're weak. You, know, you think you're strong? Without me, you can do nothing. With God, we can do everything, anything. Without him, he's not going to let us be successful because it's all about him. And if we are going to stand up, God, look what I've done. God's going to say, no, I don't accept it. I don't, he does not accept what we do. And this is something that we have to keep in mind always. Part of when we're doing this evangelism class, we're showing people that when we talk to people on evangelism, I don't know how many people of you have ever shared the gospel with people, or if you've even been there and remember when it was shared with you. You share the gospel, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Well, you've got to be good. Yeah, I hear that every time. You've got to be good. Are you a good person? It doesn't matter how bad they are, they're good. You know, I talk to the guys out in the prison, you ask them, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm basically a good person. Well, what are you in here for? Well, I made a few mistakes. Well, I'm a good person. Every single person you talk to will believe that they're a good person because they know somebody that's worse than them. And as long as there's somebody worse than them, they're good. 
That's not God's standard. God's not saying, is there somebody worse than you? He's saying, I'm the standard. I'm perfect. Do you stand up to me? And we've talked about this before. We cannot make that standard. Every one of us has sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person has committed sin. At least one. <laughs> Probably one every hour, but at least one in their lifetime they've committed. <laughs> and one sin is all it takes to be punished. And God is a good judge. He punishes us for what we do wrong. He's not going to say, well, let's see, you've got... Uh, 28 million good things and three bad things, so I'm going to let you into heaven. No, he's going to say, you're guilty. You have bad things in your life. The person who commits angry and commits a murder, and it's the only murder they've ever committed and never will commit because, it, because they just got so angry, is going to jail because of the murder. Not because he's never committed and it was a one time where they say, okay, you're free. God is the same type of judge. He's a good judge that says, you're guilty. Jesus paid the price so that we could be considered perfect in his, in, in his sight. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And Paul's saying, Timothy has proved his service. He's proved that he cares about you. He proves by his service to me. We as Christians are here for one reason in this world, and that's to share Christ. There's no other reason to be here. We're to lift up Christ, we're to live like Christ, we're to share Christ with others. Because if there was no other than that, when you got saved, you go to heaven. I don't know how you get saved if you didn't have somebody to tell you about it, but that's, you know, that's the purpose for us. We share the gospel with people and share with them there's only one way. And we need to get doing that. And Paul was saying, Timothy's going to do this. He's going to share with you and he's going to tell. And then he goes on and he goes, I'm going to send him in verse 23 and I hope to send him presently, but I'm going to see how it's going with me. Earlier on, if you remember, we read Paul lamented the fact that everybody had abandoned him other than Timothy and Epaphras. They're the only two with him in Rome as he's waiting for trial. Now, kind of makes sense if you think about it because nobody wants to be known as his friend because when he dies, they go when, when somebody like Paul dies, they start looking at his friends and saying, okay, are they doing the same thing? So I can understand why people are not wanting to be known by Paul, but he's got a steady stream of people coming to him. You know, and we talked about it you know, when we first started, how the guards are having to listen to this. They're, they're chained to him four hours a day, listening to everybody he talks to. You know, how would you like to be a non-Christian chained to somebody who is going to a very strong, you know, who's preaching at a church all the time? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine what that would be like? They're hearing the gospel all day long for four hours. <laughs> They're hearing him dictate these letters to the secretary. They're hearing the gospel. And Paul says there's a lot of, lot of, the, lot of the guards getting saved. <laughs> right here in Caesar's household, a lot of his guards getting saved because of the witness that I'm giving. Would that be how we would respond? How easy for us is it to not share the gospel with people? Well, they might think I'm a little insane. They might think I'm a little fanatical. They might make fun of me. They might even get mad at me. But you know, one thing, the thing about America is nobody's going to kill you yet for sharing the gospel. They might ostracize you. They might make fun of you. And we consider that terrible punishment in this country. But you know, if you were in Saudi Arabia, 
Malaysia, Micronesia, and you shared the gospel, you might just get killed. We have it easy in this country, and yet we won't share the gospel with people in many cases. And Paul's saying, I'm going to send Timothy because I want you, I want to find out from Timothy how you're doing. Yeah. In essence, he's saying, I want to just make sure firsthand, I want to get firsthand information about how you are doing with God. Paul has a true pastor's heart for the Philippians. He goes, I taught you, I want to know, are you following God? Or have you fallen away? We look at the Corinthians, and Paul, Paul, we have two letters that are scripture, and we know there was at least four letters to Corinthians. They, they had a rough time in Corinth. <laughs> and Paul's always sending them letters, and if you read those letters, they're pretty harsh sometimes. You've got this going on in your church. What's wrong with you, basically, is what he's saying. Get this, get this corrected. Paul has a lovely letter to the Philippines saying, I've heard good things about you, but I'm also going to send Timothy to make sure that what I'm hearing is, is true. And I also want you to know what's going on in my life. And he's going to say, I'm sending Timothy as soon as possible. And I'm hoping maybe I get to go. Yeah. He was hoping that his defense in front of Caesar was going to be successful. I don't think he had a great hope in it. <laughs> because Caesar was killing people. This is Sir, the Caesar is putting persecution on, on Christians and killing Christians. Yeah. Can you imagine what that would be like? Paul wanting to preach the gospel to the Caesar who's probably going to put him to death. And yet he wants to speak the gospel, the good news, to that man. Would we, if, our, if, if we were in his place, be desiring greatly to preach to the Caesar? <laughs> to say, yeah, you know, Caesar, uh, you're a sinner headed for hell and you need Jesus. <laughs> That's bold. <laughs> and you know what? God put him in that place because he was bold in all the other situations that he had developed in. If you will not talk to the people around you, Currently, you will never talk to people of influence. You look at somebody like Billy Graham who preaches the gospel, and you read his story, and how many presidents has he gotten into firsthand conversations with and given the gospel? Why? Because he gives the gospel to everybody. Doesn't matter how big, small, little, important, not important, he gives the gospel out. And God knows that if he's in the president's uh, sphere, he's going to preach the gospel. If we don't preach the gospel to the people around us, we're not going to ever get a chance to preach to somebody important because we'd be looking at, well, this person's a little too important. I can't, I can't share the gospel with him. I can't even share it with my friends. You know, we're, well, my friends can just go to hell. I don't care if they go to hell because I'm not just going to tell them about the gospel because they might get mad at me. That's a sad place to think. And we don't really think of it that consciously, but isn't that what we're doing if we don't share the gospel with them? You know, I really like you, uh, but, uh, you know, you can just go to hell and I don't really care. It is critical that we go out and follow Jesus' command. Go and teach and preach to the world. It's a critical statement that we're given. And it wasn't a suggestion. It is an imperative language. It is a command to go and teach. Does that mean we go out and we preach to every single person we come across? Possibly we should, but it definitely includes our friends and people that we have some communication with. There are some people that just are very introspective, they're you know, introverts, and they're not going to go out and talk to everybody on the street. There are other people that they've never met as somebody they, that is a stranger for long. <laughs> Those kind of people should have it easy to preach the gospel because they're, they're, they're very outgoing and easy to, easy to talk to people. 
Others of us, like myself, it's a little harder to go out and talk to, talk to strangers. But we still have not released from that commandment to go and share the gospel. Share the gospel. And, they, and Paul is saying, I'm going to send Timothy. And then he says, and then he continues, Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and dear fellow soldier, but your men messenger that he may minister to my needs. The Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul. <laughs> and I love the way he said it toward the end, you know, you all just couldn't come to me, so you sent him. And he has served as your representative to me. Who do we have this relationship with? Who do we go to and we just minister to? How many people do you have that minister to you? I've been thinking a lot about the little things we do for one another that oftentimes we kind of just overlook. You know, well, all I did was say a nice thing to that person. Maybe that nice thing was just the thing they needed to hear that day and you changed their entire day. You, know, you don't know. You don't know the little things that you're doing that are going to have great impact in somebody's life that may have turned them around. Over the years, I've heard many testimonies you know, that you know, I met this Christian and they said so just something, something that Christian probably said offhand and didn't even think about. And they go, I was planning to commit suicide and I, and I got stopped. What little kindness can you be saying to somebody that may change their entire life? We may not know until we get to heaven. We don't know the little services we do, the little kindnesses we do. We watched God's Not Dead on Friday night, and one of the sub-stories is this pastor who's feeling kind of useless. <laughs> he doesn't feel like he's touching anybody's lives. And yet every time he turns around, he's ministering to somebody and changing, changing the course of their life just with a little statement here, a little statement there, a little truth here, a little truth there. We get to see it from our side of the movie because we watch how their life is impacted and they move in another direction. This is how life is for us as Christians. We do little things. We drop a little truth. We drop a little verse into somebody's life. We just say a little kind thing, an encouraging thing. We may not know how it changes somebody's life down the road. Never feel that you are not being used by God because that is Satan's lie. Satan wants us to feel that we are worthless and not doing anything. And if he gets away with it, we will stop sharing those little, even those little things. We are God's children if we're saved. We're his children and what we speak is filled with the words from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will minister to people and change lives. And when you get to heaven and you see the rewards you get for just those little things, those little things where you were just nice to somebody, you didn't think of anything of it. If you've been walking with God long enough, you've, been, you've experienced this where somebody says, you know what, last week, last month, you said this to me, and it really changed the way I thought that day. I think God lets those come into our life every once in a while just to let us know we're being used. But you know, there's probably many more that we don't know anything about. How about the fact that you all came to church this morning into this room? Your neighbors and friends probably saw you getting out of your house, getting into your car with your Bibles. What did that mean to them? Maybe nothing, maybe everything. You never know what that means when people look and say, this person's faithful to come going to church. 
You may never have said anything to them, but they're going, there's something different about them. They go to church. Or they think there's something important about that. It may lead to them opening up to you or somebody else about Jesus. They see you not getting angry at something that would normally make people angry. And they're thinking, boy, that person's really weird. They just let people walk all over them. But they also click in their mind that they're not always bent out of shape. They're not always angry and upset with everybody. And I'm upset and angry with everybody and I live miserably. They seem to have a smile on their face. They're awfully weird letting people do this to them, but you know, the word of God starts speaking to them. You don't know what little things that you're doing and the impact they may have on people's lives. Paul said, Timothy has been proven. You know that he's one of my fellow. I'm going to send you a Paphidus because he is proven useful. He's proven to me. And it says, he's longed after you and was filled with heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, but not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphidus came and he ministered. And he ministered to the point of getting sick. And you know, it's kind of interesting when you read biographies of Christian leaders and everything, many times they work to the point of exhaustion and make themselves sick. Now, whether that's godly or not, we're not going to get into that part of it or not, but it happens. You care so much for people, and there's so much to do that oftentimes you will work to the point of exhaustion. And he's saying, this is what Epaphidus, he got sick. He's visiting me here in this, this town, and he got sick. And he came very close to death. And Paul said, and God had mercy not just on him. Because I think Paul understood if Epaphidus died, he went to heaven. He really wasn't too worried about Epaphidus dying, but sorrow would have been on the Philippians who sent him, and for Paul, because he would miss another companion. When somebody dies and they're a Christian, you know, it's the greatest thing that can happen to them, actually. They have gone to heaven. In Psalm 116, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. They come home. They come home. Now, does that mean we can't sorrow? Paul already said, I'm going to sorrow. I will miss him. But we don't sorrow the way the rest of the world does because we are going to know we're going to see that person again if they're a Christian. If they're not a Christian, no hope. You're not ever going to see him again. And every time you go to a funeral, you hear the same thing. Well, we'll see him again. We'll see him again. Unfortunately, sometimes that's not true. If they are not a Christian, they are not going to heaven. Now, am I going to tell somebody in the middle of a funeral, no, you can't have that hope? No, I'm not going to give that, take that away from them. But it also bothers me. <laughs> because for many times I hear it and I look, I'm going, I never saw that person pray once. I never saw them go to church, any church. <laughs> I never heard them talk about God in a, in a positive light. Am I saying they're not saved and going to heaven? Not necessarily, but I'm going to say there's no fruit. Now, there's some people I look at them, and they're always reading their Bible. They're always talking about God. And, they're, and you look at them and say, pretty sure that person's in heaven. And that's what Paul's saying. You know, Epaphras would be in heaven. He knew that Paul knew he was headed to heaven. At one point, he goes, I'm in a twix between the two, whether to stay here, which is better for you all, for me to teach you and help you, encourage you to grow. But what I really want to do, <laughs> I want to go home. All of us should have that desire 
We really should want to go home, but if we're ministering to people, it is better for them that we stay here. If there's lost people in our life that we're witnessing to, it's better for them that we stay here. If we're helping Christians get better in their walk with Christ, it's better to be here. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's better to be in heaven all the, all the way around. Living in a place of absolute perfection, being able to see Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, and spend time just gazing at him and how much it costs for us to get there. In Revelation, it talks about Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The only man-made imperfections in heaven are going to be the stripes on Jesus, the nails in his hand and feet, the thorns. And I am so glad he's going to take away every tear because I can't imagine looking at him and seeing the cost of what it cost for us to be there. Because he will bear the marks of what it cost. And we will be so much in love for it with him even more than we are now because we're going to see how much it cost and how much he paid for us to be there. Verse 28, I will send him therefore more carefully, and that means urgently, that when you see him again, you may rejoice and you may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, such as in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarded in his own life to supply your lack of service to me. Paul says, take him back, be happy, be rejoicing. I was very happy he was here giving me the service that you could not give. Not, and this is kind of an interesting place because not everybody can quit their job and go serve, serve Christ full time. We need people who actually make the money to pay the people to do this stuff. It doesn't really give us the reason not to go out and serve him. It changes the way we serve him. You know, it changes the way we serve him because our primary is to help others as well, but we also share the gospel. I love being in the workplace outside of here because I get to work with guys that don't know Christ. It's fun. Now, I'm paid to do a job, but I get to share the gospel frequently out there. And you know what? It's usually the prisoners and, and staff asking me. You know, and I've told you, I've been asked several times, why are you always in such a good mood? Yeah, I love that question. Because I get to tell them why. God's in control. He has my life in, in his hands, and I know that he is in control. And now I can tell you, would you like to know more about that? Sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. Gives me an opportunity to then go into the gospel and be able to share the gospel. You know, when, when I was here doing just this, I didn't have a whole lot of people to do that to unless I went out and around about and talking to people. But it is very important that we get out and we talk to these people. Do people know that you are different than they are? Is there a smile on your face more often than not? Now, can, are you going to always be happy and always smiling? No. Things happen. But as I've said, how can we get around that? I have two promises that I hold on very strongly from God. Number one, all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. No matter what happens to me, God says it's for good. And as I've said, not necessarily for my good. If I'm suffering in great pain, it's not necessarily for my good. But when others see me be steadfast while in pain, it can be very good for them. And the other thing is that God is absolutely sovereign and nothing happens that he is not in control of. 
When I seem to see nothing but bad in front of me, and everything seems bad, I grab hold of those two promises and say, God, you've got a, you've got a reason. And you know what? If you actually believe that he has a reason, it makes things a lot easier to endure. God, I don't know what you're trying to show me, but let's, let's go. Help me get through this. Pretty much that's what Job did when he, you know, when he was going through all this. You know, he was saying, God, I you know, don't know what's going on, but you're, 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 you're God. He told his wife, naked I came into this world, naked I'll go out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We'll take, you know, if we take good from God, can't we take the bad from God at the same time? He understood. He had a little hard time when his four quote-unquote friends came along and, you know, spent their time condemning him. You know, if you're being condemned all the time, it doesn't take long before your patience and your endurance wears down. They weren't there encouraging him. You know, Job, we don't know what, what's gone on or anything, but, you know, what can we do to help you? They're going, Job, you're a sinner. You've got to admit your sin. Obviously, Job, you did something wrong because people don't suffer like this if they're good. And yet we know God's testimony was Job was a perfect and upright man who hated evil. His, his friends didn't know God's heart. We just need to be able to say, God, you've got a plan. Don't understand it. Don't know why. But you've got a plan, and I will endure. And eventually God might show you the reason. And I say might because there's times when he hasn't shown me the reason I've gone through things. In heaven, maybe he's going to show me the reason why. He'll show me how many people got saved because they saw the steadfastness of the action. And I've used the story of the time when I was on crutches for six weeks with a gout. And I'm going, God, I don't understand why you're putting me through so much pain. A year later, somebody came up and said how much of a courage they got watching me serve God in obvious pain. And I'm going, okay, God, I now see why I had six months of pain. Was it for my good? Absolutely not. There was nothing good about being in so much pain you can't walk. You know, so much pain you can't sleep. But if it was for somebody else, are we willing to suffer if somebody else can benefit from it? What is the price of one soul that we have an impact on? What would we be willing to go through? Jesus gave up deity for a period of time and went through the suffering of the cross, the beating he took at the hands of the Romans for our sin. He did that for us. There was no great joy in that, in that activity. I can't see him standing there getting beat with the flagellum saying, okay, God, the Father, this is really wonderful. I'm really enjoying this. But because he knew that it was for us so that we could go to heaven, he endured the pain. He endured the beating. He endured the thorn of, crown of thorns. He endured the cross because he knew that others would be able to enter heaven because of it. What are we willing to endure for Christ so that somebody can go to heaven? Are we willing to endure death? You want to see how God can use death? Read, read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and read all these people who died and how hundreds, millions of people have come to Christ because of their testimony in death. And we would look at it, well, that's a terrible thing. I don't want to die. Well, I don't know. I kind of want to die. I want to go to heaven. I don't know if I want to die brutally. But if somebody would come to heaven and come to Christ because of that, then I say, God, let it happen. Because it's more important to me that somebody enters heaven than for me to live on this world. 
And we need to have that attitude of, I want to serve you, God. Paul is in prison, ready to face Nero. Why? Because his hope is that Nero will hear the message. And if nothing else, there's a whole courtroom that's going to hear the message. And he's going, God, I'm willing to give up my life if I can just get the message out. They may not respond, but I'm just going to give them the message of the gospel. We need to get that gumption. We need to get that attitude of the gospel is what's important. I want to, if somebody will go to heaven, I will suffer anything. I will suffer anything you send my way, God. Extreme pain, suffering for the rest of my life, if that will bring a soul to Christ. And it will change the way you look at anything that happens in your life. If you truly grab hold of that truth and say, God, I'm willing to go through this, everything about what you go through will, will change. When you suffer, it's okay, God, well, who are, you, who are you trying to, are you trying to teach me a lesson or are you trying to bring somebody to Christ? Either way, I'm going to be happy with it. Where are we with God? Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Lord, we just come before you and we thank you for how much you love us. Lord, if there's anybody listening here or even on the DVD later on, the, that they will hear this. And if they don't know you, God, in a very personal way, that they will recognize that they're a sinner destined for hell. And that they will come to you and repent of their sins, tell you they're sorry, and ask for your forgiveness. And that they will come to you and learn and follow you. Lord, we thank you for that. For, Lord, for those of us that are Christians listening to this message, we ask that you give us the courage and the desire to go out and witness to others, to share you in the gospel. And we just thank you for all of that in your son's name. Amen.